Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens Podcast. How is everybody doing today? If y'all are doing great, then I'm doing great. It's a sunny Tuesday morning. The birds, well, the birds aren't chirping because my family actually went and cut down all of the trees in our backyard, which uh, I was not ready for. And, you know, having those trees that been having trees that have been in the backyards ever since we moved into this house back in 2001 it is a strange sight just being able to look out my window and not see anything and it's not even like these trees were dying or they were ugly it was just there were so many fucking trees in the backyard for almost no reason so you know going ahead and doing a whole backyard renovation is super cool and all that but you know the birds since they don't have anywhere to chill in the backyard anymore, they just they just don't. They just don't chill in the backyard because what the fuck are they going to do? No trees, no nothing. So the birds actually haven't been chirping. And I'm still undecided on if that's a good thing or not because it's not like they're waking me up at fucking 6 a.m. anymore, which I'm sure you guys already know I have this fucking disdain for most birds just because they're so fucking annoying but anyway i'm getting off on a tangent today is even better because on monday night monday evening the time once the sun went down the brooklyn nets went ahead and defeated their crosstown rival the new york knicks ladies and gentlemen kyrie irving took on the new york knicks damn near by himself and straight up willed this team to victory. No James Harden dealing with a hamstring injury, missed the last, I believe it's the, now it's the last two games. And then um, I think he also missed the end of the Hornets game a couple weeks ago. So it's like two and a half games that he's missed. He's dealing with a hamstring injury. I believe Steve Nash said that both he and Kevin Durant are going to be coming back at some point this week. I don't know how ac accurate that is, but I do know that I'm pretty fucking excited about it because Kevin Durant, once again, back healthy in a Brooklyn Nets uniform. That is fucking makes me brim with joy and just exude excitement. But until that point, Kyrie Irving has to go ahead and lead this team by himself. So the Knicks, as we all know, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, the New York Knicks have been significantly better than I predicted this year. And anytime they've come up in the conversation, I have always given them a lot of credit because they deserve it. Tom Thibodeau deserves it. Julius Randle deserves it. RJ Barrett deserves it. The whole squad deserves it. And uh, they're actually under 500, what, what feels like for the first time all season. You know, they're 25 and 26, back under 500, but still in the playoff hunt. And the Nets, as we all know, back atop the Eastern Conference. But just to, you know, bring this back, Go to Kyrie Irving. This man, ladies and gentlemen, 40 points on 15 of 28 shooting. Just remarkable. And the Kyrie Irving that we're seeing today is probably the best that Kyrie Irving has ever played. I'm just going to, you know, pull this up real quick. So in his last four games, Kyrie in about 37 minutes a night, averaging 27.5 points and 10.5 assists. I remember a couple weeks ago when the news first broke that James Harden, not a couple weeks, it's probably a couple months at this point, but at any rate, when the news broke that James Harden was going to be the point guard of this team, I said, perfect, because Kyrie Irving really isn't a point guard. Like, he's, he's a shooting guard. He's an undersized shooting guard. When he gets the ball, he wants to go out and he wants to score. And we've been seeing that, but we've also seen Kyrie Irving make some of the best passes and facilitate the offense at such a rate. It really has me reevaluating that take because not only is Kyrie at 10 and a half assists in his last four games, he's at only 2.3 assists, never had more than four turnovers in a game. He actually had four turnovers last night, which, you know, really fucked up his um, assisted turnover ratio. But you know what? It happens sometimes. And when you play a team like the Knicks, and really whenever the Nets play any bad team, for whatever reason, they just are incapable of playing 
well. I don't want to say they're incapable of playing well because they certainly do play well. Well enough to win sometimes, at least. But just they go through these spurts where I just feel like the effort is lacking. And when the effort is lacking for this team, especially when it's just Kyrie Irving, there, you know, no James Harden. What the fuck is all this noise about? Pardon me about that. Something's going on with the pool in the backyard. I don't know if y'all even picked up on that. But yeah, okay, so that weird noise was the pool, but whatever. And anyway, back to Kyrie Irving and the Nets overall as a whole. I don't know. It's certainly not a talent thing. But when you don't play with effort, and you're not 100%, younger teams, bad teams, inexperienced teams are going to be able to take advantage of you. We saw that with the Bulls a couple nights ago where the Nets actually lost. That was on Easter Sunday. They lost, of course, to a Nikola Vucevic-led team, the Knicks. They let them hang around. That game, it should have been a lot closer than a two-point victory. I mean, it should have been a lot more than a two-point victory. You know, I'm thinking like eight, nine, ten points. The Knicks led for... A majority of the game, same thing with the Timberwolves at the end of March, just routinely, this team just goes into slumps against bad teams. And, you know, some of it lands on the coaching. I didn't catch all of the game last night, but I remember there was this one specific instance where the Knicks, I think it was like going into halftime, they ended on like a 7 nothing run or a 17-6 to run or something like that. And Steve Nash... Well, actually, it was two separate ones. It was a se- I think it was a seven nothing run to end the half and a seventeen to six run overall. And Steve Nash just refused to take a timeout. And those are part of the growing pains that he's going to experience as a head coach. And I've been very critical of Steve Nash ever since he came to Brooklyn because I just felt that the decision to hire him was a little strange. You know, rookie head coach on a team that's going to contend for a title this year. But then again. You know, if KD wanted him there and Kyrie wanted him there and they respect him enough because Steve Nash is one of the greatest players to ever lace him up and take the court for an NBA team. Two-time MVP. Never, I don't think he won a title, not even in his later years. But you know what? Hall of Famer, incredibly gifted, incredibly gifted passer. Very smart as well. So his knowledge of playing basketball is unrivaled coaching on the other hand is a little different and there are times where steve nash much like when you watch rookie players take the court they just have they just make these simple mistakes and it's kind of like how does how does that happen but you know they're in situations that they're not used to and steve nash although it is a little weird with him having guys like jacques vaughn on the bench and mike d'antoni as well and some other guys someone like adam harrington folks who have been like with the Nets and also in the league for a while. It's just all a little weird. But a dub is a dub is a dub. The Nets escaped by the skins of their sacks. And I'm not mad at it. You know, yeah, they maybe should have crushed the Knicks. But again, a win is a win is a win. It doesn't matter how pretty or how ugly it is. It still counts in the win column. And all we know is that there is no one above the Nets in the win column at this moment. And Recently, this really isn't about the Nets as it is more so the NBA as a whole. I don't know what's going on, but, pardon me, I don't know what's going on, but there are so many MVPs in this year's MVP race. I, I can't remember the last time the field was this dense. And it's difficult to pick a favorite. It's so, it's just so shocking. It really is. I'm super gassy this morning. I just keep burping. Like, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. But the MVP race, it's one of those things where regardless of how this year turns out, regardless of who wins the MVP, they're going to be deserving of it. Because there are like eight, there are like eight guys, maybe a little less, maybe like six. But there are a handful of guys who have legitimate cases to win the MVP. And someone's going to win, and then a whole bunch of people are going to be upset. And this is going to be with anybody. Anybody, right? Just off the top of my head, 
who are some guys that are leading the MVP race right now? James Harden, obviously, for obvious reasons. You got Nikola Jokic. Who else you got? You got either Devin Booker or Chris Paul. You know, someone can make the case for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, I was talking to a friend over the weekend. Donovan Mitchell statistically doesn't compare with some of the other guys in the, in the league. But, you know, when it comes, comes down to most valuable, he is the best player on the league's best team. So, with that, he's probably going to get some sort of consideration. But then who else? You got Joel Embiid, who recently came back from his injury. Came back, got immediately dunked on by Carl Anthony Towns. But you know what? That's neither here nor there. You got Joel Embiid. You got Giannis. You can throw into the mix. You got Damian Lillard. You got Luka Doncic. You got, well, I was going to say you have LeBron James, but LeBron probably is out of the race because of his whole, um, his whole injury situation. His, um, his games played probably are not going to be favorable. Let's just put it that way. Very similarly to how before Kevin Durant went out with the hamstring injury, I was kind of like, I think this guy's the favorite if he manages to stay healthy because I think if Kevin Durant went on to play every game after or if he had not gotten hurt and he went on to play every game, I think he would have been at maybe like 70, 75% of um, playing or he would have have he would have played 70 to 75% of his games and that would have been good enough for me to give him the MVP award. But that is certainly not the case. And, you know, I was doing the same with Joel Embiid. Depending on the severity of his knee injury, maybe he would have fallen out of the race as well. Another guy who I don't think I mentioned was Damian Lillard. And what's very weird about this MVP race is that it's really going to, you know, I think highlight how the voters think now more than ever. Because in the past, there has been no, there's no, like, guideline for voting for the MVP. As long as that player has, you know, impeccable numbers and their team is at least, you know, above 500, they're in the race. And I kind of respect that. I don't want, I don't, I understand that line of thinking. It isn't necessarily how I think. So maybe I'm a little weird. And of course, there are personal biases as well. Like if you have a media member who is not a fan of James Harden or who is not a fan of Joel Embiid or, you know, doesn't like what the Nets are doing in terms of quote unquote stacking the deck in their favor, like that could very well play against James Harden's MVP candidacy because narratives run the MVP race and mean just as much as wins and all the other statistics, right? If you have a player like Damian Lillard, for example, who has Portland at 30 and 19 this season and is playing the best basketball of his career, I think he's averaging like 30 points and eight assists, maybe like 29 and eight, but he's playing some of the best basketball of his career. And Portland is finally playing at the level that we've been expecting of them. Granted, you know, there are some other things that have gone in Portland's favor recently. Like, you know, CJ McCollum recently came back from injury. They got Yusuf Nurkic back. I don't know Nurk's numbers off the top of my head, but I'm going to pull those up right now. But having Nurk back in the lineup is, you know, instrumental to them. He's been back for 17 games, not really playing that much. I think he's just still trying to get his sea legs back, but averaging nine points, seven and a half assists, seven and a half assists, seven and a half um, boards in a little more than 20 minutes. That's quality production. And then, of course, you bring in Norman Powell, who has come over from Toronto and not missed a, sing a single step. In five games, this dude is up to 15 points per game, shooting 46% from three. Like, has not missed a beat. You got Robert Covington as well, playing incredible defensive basketball. So, is Dame deserving of the MVP chatter? He 100% is deserving of it. but. It also highlights how important everything else is for a team's success. And I'm not trying to use that against Dame because I could make the same case for someone like Nikola Jokic. Denver Nuggets came out like hot fucking doo-doo to start the season. And where are they at now? I think they're like third in the West. They're like 35 wins deep, 
above the Lakers, above uh, who else? So, okay, Denver is tied with the Lakers in the in the uh, standings. So, still having come from where they were at, I remember a couple months ago people were talking about Jokic as the MVP, and I'm like, dude, this team is at 500. How is Jokic going to be in the MVP race if this team is at 500? It's not to say that Jokic wasn't putting up incredible numbers, but why were they not winning more games? Because you would think that someone is putting up the numbers that Jokic is putting up. They would be significantly better than how they were playing. I mean, look at Brooklyn, for example. You have James Harden, who is pretty much doing the same thing that Jokic is doing. Harden is at like 26 points, 8 rebounds, 10 assists. Jokic is, I think, around 25 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists. Something like that. Their numbers are almost identical to one another. And yet, the Nets are still kicking. And they really only turned it into high gear once James Harden got to Brooklyn. Because, you know, the beginning of the season, this team was all over the place. They were just so... I, I don't even want to say they looked discombobulated because I don't think they did. Certainly they had times where it was like, what the fuck is going on? But the team just looked, they definitely looked like they were missing somebody. And I think James Harden was that somebody. Like a player of his caliber who can pretty much touch the ball and something amazing will happen. You know, we all know that James Harden is such a talented scorer. But what he has that neither Kyrie nor KD has is the ability to see plays unfold way ahead of when they're supposed to. I mean, I'm sure you guys are getting fucking really tired of me talking about James Harden's sixth sense, type of sense that only someone like LeBron James or Chris Paul has. James Harden has that. So it's almost like, you know, 50% of the time he's going to score a crazy bucket and 50% of the time he's going to hand out an amazing pass. There's really no predicting it. And that unpredictability is good for the Nets because the defense doesn't know how to react to it, which I love. And for that reason alone, I think that James Harden deserves to be at least one of the finalists for the MVP. If I had to pick right now, who my finalist would be for the MVP. I'm definitely going in no particular order. I don't want to give away my winner just yet, even though I'm probably going to wind up leaning towards James Harden. Harden's going to be in there. Nikola Jokic is going to be in there. And I'm stuck between Giannis and Joel Embiid. I, you know, I'm going to do a quick comparison of these two just to see you know just to get a full a full understanding of where they're both at but it's definitely going to be those some combination of those three of three of those four some combination of three of those four guys for me because I'm looking at the numbers right now Giannis has played in pretty much almost every game this season and he has been as good, if not better, than Joel Embiid. Now, granted, the scoring numbers are about the same. Rebounds are about the same. Giannis is shooting a little better from the field overall, but Joel's development as a three-point shooter has really, you know, been fucking amazing for the Sixers. I don't think anyone is going to uh, deny that. Embiid's ability to hit from the outside now is invaluable to what Philadelphia wants to do because, you know, not having Ben Simmons as an outside threat, they're, they're going to need somebody else to step out, step up. And I know the team is playing exceptionally well, and they have a bunch of shooters around Ben Simmons, which is good. But Embiid being able to do it, and the defense not being able to, you know, just bank on him, you know, playing in the post with his back to the basket, it's another dynamic that just creates a more explosive offense. The one edge that Giannis has is playmaking. And I don't want to say I have like an issue with using that, but it's definitely more of a stylistic thing that Giannis is averaging more assists. This is 
talent. He is a little bit better of a passer, although he does turn the ball over at, you know, a relatively high rate for such a high usage player, especially someone who is looking to facilitate a lot of the time. But like, I'm not going to say that I'm necessarily going to penalize Embiid for not being a more, um, a more, you know, prolific passer because that's not his game. And the Sixers don't need to do that. I mean, the Sixers got Ben Simmons, who is one of the best passing bigs or just passing players overall in the league. And I'm sure, you know, Giannis having Drew Holiday also helps a lot. But I really don't know who I'm going to pick between these two. I might be leaning toward Giannis just because, you know, Embiid's coming off the injury. I know Giannis is um, technically injured right now, dealing with a little knee thing, but it hasn't caused him to miss a significant amount of time. And maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Hopefully it doesn't. But um, I don't know. We got to see. But I, the final race is going to be so just... I don't even know how to... I don't even know if I'll be able to articulate it. Because like... It's just going to be so, so intense. So intense. Like, I'm looking at Basketball References um, MVP tracker right now. So they have Nikola Jokic at 51% win probability, which I feel is way too high. I'm just going to come out and say it because the following percentages are are this. James Harden is at 15.4. Yarden. Yarden. <laughs> Yarden. Giannis at about 13. And then Kawhi at 4%. Damian Dame at about 4% as well. Kyrie Irving at about 3%. LeBron James is on here still at, you know, about 3%. I'm rounding up, of course. The decimals are a lot more exact, but I, we're splitting hairs at this point. Under LeBron is Luka. And I have a little bit of issue with that. I might just wind up just going through this whole thing. So Luca, and then you have Rudy Gobert. Rudy Gobert for the Utah Jazz over Donovan Mitchell. That is, that's, that's incredible. And then rounding out the number 10 guy is, um, what the fuck is his name? I'm looking at it and I can't say it. Jimmy Butler. So obviously the first thing that jumps out at me is no Embiid and no Donovan Mitchell. The fact that they put Rudy Gobert over Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, I'm not necessarily mad about this because this, of course, I'm sure the good people at Basketball Reference developed some type of algorithm to, you know, calculate this. So this isn't, you know, one person's MVP listing. It's the computer. And with where we're at in the NBA landscape today, I'm sure, although they're only listing, you know, basic box score numbers here, I almost know for a fact that advanced statistics are, you know, in play to a certain degree. And I'm actually going to just going to do a quick comparison of um, what are their names? Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell, just because I want to see what the advanced numbers are looking like. And I really hope I'm able to access this because I'm currently not logged in to uh, StatHead. So we're going to see. We're going to see if I'm able to do that. Please. Fingers, fingers fucking crossed. Okay, I am. Beautiful. So, as in terms of advanced statistics, it's pretty obvious, well, now it is, why the computer is favoring Rudy Gobert over Donovan Mitchell. Statistically, Rudy Gobert has been more instrumental to Utah's success than Donovan Mitchell has, right? And... I'm ascertaining this because his Gobert's PER is higher. Donovan Mitchell is actually like really analytically not that like I don't yeah analytically not that great of a player, which I'm kind of um surprised by because this guy is an undeniable star in the NBA. I mean, he's averaging twenty five five and four on you know shooting forty percent from three. This guy is you know a bona fide stud. But you know we go to the wind chair column. Gobert, in terms of this calculation, and it's really, you know, tough to base, to really, you know, take these at face value, I guess, just because it is really hard to calculate win shares for a player. It's a nice estimate, 
but it says that Rudy Gobert has accounted for about eight Jazz wins compared to five and a half for Donovan Mitchell. Now, the one statistic that I like more than win shares is win shares per 48 minutes. That is a, is a statistic where a player is analyzed and the number that comes out is how much they've contributed to a one-game victory, right? So Rudy Gobert is at almost 0.25. He's at 0.247 right now. The league average is 100 or 0.100 or as I guess 0.1. Yeah, 0.1. He is two and a half times I don't two and a half times better, uh, two and a half times more impactful than the league average player, at least in terms of his team. And then Donovan Mitchell is at 0.167. Now, this is where it gets kind of squirrely. So we're gonna just gonna you know breeze over to the Utah Jazz's team section. And I think what's happening is that the computer or the algorithm is under undervaluing. Donovan Mitchell's impact offensively because what, what do we know about the Utah Jazz? Well, we know that Quinn Snyder for the last couple of years has prioritized defense. The Jazz are routinely one of the best defensive teams in the league. This is no different. They play slow, they play methodically, but they suffocate you on the defensive end with Gobert in the middle, guys on the wing. Donovan Mitchell is a very good defender for his position. You got guys like Bruce O'Neill, uh, who else? I'm drawing a blank. Joe Ingles may not look like it. Pretty decent defender. I mean, Derek Favors. You got Mike Conley, who can still defend a little bit, despite being a bit older than some of the other guys at his position. But the Jazz win a lot of their games based on defense, right? That is their calling card. When it goes to the postseason, they try to just not get into shootout, shootouts with teams because in years past, they wouldn't have been able to contend. This year, though, and I believe, I don't it's not just me who believes this. I'm sure a lot of people believe this. But the reason why the Jazz are the best team in the NBA, not just in the West, in the NBA, because last year they finished sixth in the conference. And I don't even know what that was like overall. But this year they've been able to close the gap because their offense is just so fucking explosive. They're third in volume and first in efficiency. I think them and the Nets are on pace to be two of the most efficient teams in league history. The Jazz are averaging fewer than 100 possessions per game and are averaging 118 points per 100 possessions. Them putting up 117 points a night, which is third in the league, while they're ranking 18th in pace, is a phenomenal statistic. The phenomenal ratio. It's just a, really an immaculately coached team from Quinn Snyder. However, and no one is going to debate me here. You can ask anybody who follows the NBA, even if they're you know casual fan, you know even if they're as long as they know what's going on within the NBA, whether they're a player, whether they're a coach, an analyst, a fan. If you go up to them and you ask, hey, who's the catalyst? of the Utah Jazz's offense. Everybody's going to say Donovan Mitchell. And it's because he is. Donovan Mitchell is the reason why the Utah Jazz are as successful as they've been. He leads the team in scoring. He's also leading the team in assists. Well, technically, he's not. He's averaging 5.4 assists per game. Mike Conley leads the team at 5.5. So he's pretty much leading the team in assists. I mean, Mike Conley... Mike Conley's doing his best, but, you know, again, when it comes down to it, the ball is going to be in Donovan Mitchell's hands. Shooting 40% from three, 39.6% if we're going to be exact. But he's the reason this team is as good as they are. And there's, it's no disrespect to Rudy Gobert, but offensively, where Utah has made the biggest leap and made the biggest improvement, it's been mostly because of Donovan Mitchell. He's gotten better. He's learned how to, you know, be a facilitator. And I don't want to downplay everybody else. You know, Jordan Clarkson, probably going to be sixth man of the year. This guy has been fucking incredible. And his, him being a spark plug off the bench is so, so vital 
to what the Utah Jazz are doing. But it's still Donovan Mitchell's team. The same goes for Bojan Bogdanovic and Joe Ingles and Mike Conley. They're successful. And Rudy Gobert as well. They're all successful because of Donovan Mitchell. I just think that, you know, I don't believe anybody is going to put Rudy Gobert ahead of Donovan Mitchell on their MVP ballot. I, I just don't see it. I, it really is hard for me to see that. And maybe it's because, you know, defense is just not as glamorous. It's gritty. But everybody respects Rudy Gobert as a defender. I mean, the guy is a defensive player of the year candidate every year. He's the best defensive center on arguably the best defensive team in the league and quite arguably the best defensive center in the league. Like, he's just on a different plane. But we've seen in years past, the Jazz being defensive-minded hasn't been super conducive to their success. They hit their glass ceiling because defense, it really can only take you so far, especially now when quite actually every team in the NBA has someone who can give you 30 on a nightly basis. You need to be able to hang with them when, you know, the pace picks up and the buckets just start falling. Fortunately, the Jazz, you know, overcome the need to get into shootouts by just being so efficient. Like, the fact that they can play as slow as they play and pretty much go shot for shot with any team in the league is just, it, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. And again, it's really because of Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell has learned to become the driving force of the offense. Another thing that's particularly weird about this is nobody from the Phoenix Suns. No Chris Paul, no Devin Booker. I'm sure Monty Williams is going to win Coach of the Year. He's still my pick, even though a couple weeks ago I said he wasn't. I'm 100% going with Monty Williams. So, I mean, you know, why not take a look at what the Phoenix Suns got going on? Here we have another team, second in net rating, top 10 in offensive and defensive efficiency, and also offensive scoring volume and points allowed volume. Why is Devin Booker not getting any love here? Why is Chris Paul not getting any love here? Even though I think Devin Booker deserves to, you know, be talked about. Why is, why is neither of them on here? Devin Booker, that 26 points, you know, four rebounds, four and a half assists. The numbers aren't that flashy. I will 100% come out and say that. And the same goes with Chris Paul, who's at 16 points and nine assists. The numbers are not that flashy, but at least like, put them in the conversation like why are they in it over jimmy butler well if i had to guess it probably comes down to the analytics i can't say for certain but just at a quick glance if we're still doing win shares preferred per 48 win shares per 48 chris paul is at about a 0.2 devin booker is at 0.121 i'm just going to slide over to jimmy butler's page real quick Scroll down to the advanced statistics setting. And what do we got? Jimmy Butler is at 0.248. You know, same deal as Rudy Gobert. But Miami is, a, they're a weaker team overall. And, you know, I think that guys like Jimmy Butler should, you know, have that used against them. Like, again, this is nothing personal against Jimmy Butler, but what's going on with the Miami Heat that they haven't been able to click yet? They've been hurt. I understand that. I understand that they've dealt with some injuries, but they just, they have a very decent team. The team is a quality team, and they just haven't been able to put it together. The offense has struggled all season long. This is a team that went to the finals last season, and might not make the playoffs now. It's very, it's very likely they don't make the playoffs. I don't actually, is it? It's, in fact, very likely. I mean, Indiana is only four games behind the Miami Heat, who are fifth in the Eastern Conference. Or tied for fourth, I guess. They're 26 and 24. Like, I get that Jimmy Butler has been playing phenomenal basketball. But, you know, I think Devin Booker or Chris Paul, probably Devin Booker, do deserve to be a part of that. I mean, again, I'm just, I'm taking shots at a fucking 
computer, a computer-generated list. So, again, I'm not trying to, you know, shit on basketball reference or anything. I think it's a wonderful service, and I've used it countless times. I've been using it for all these years. And, again, they, they're not – they're just posting data, and they're letting the computer do with it. But, you know, this is a double-edged sword because I'm saying, why is the computer doing this? And then me, a human being, I could give you my 10 MVP candidates and someone would come to me and be like, why'd you put him there? You know, James Harden doesn't deserve to be the favorite. Nicole Jokic does. Or Damian Lillard does. And I'm like, well, you know, this, that, and the third, yada, yada, yada. Brooklyn Nets are best team in the East. James Harden is putting up incredible numbers. Like, give me a reason why he shouldn't be the favorite. I love that space there for someone to respond, but, you know, I'm here by myself. No one's going to fucking respond. But, you know, that's kind of just what we're going to deal with. And this is going to be the most explosive MVP race, I don't want to say in my lifetime, but I would love to see another year replicate this. And the only reason I say that is because when you have all these talented players operating at peak proficiency, it's just, it's so entertaining. It's so good for the league. It's just... It, it really is just an unbridled joy to be able to watch guys like Jokic and Harden and Giannis, Kawhi, Dame, Luka, LeBron. Just watch all these studs go out night in and night out, just dominate. It really is a joy. And, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I, <laughs> I think I might have to stay off the internet for a little bit when it's time, when it comes time for the MVP race because it's just or not when it comes time for the MVP announcement because it's just going to be like it's going to be a fucking cesspool. Social media is already a cesspool as it is and it's just going to it's going to transcend. It's going to reach stratospheric levels of bullshit when the MVP when the MVP is announced. I mean, maybe I'll participate. I don't know. If it's not James Harden, I might, you know up on here and plead my case and, you know, have an actual, like, well-researched episode for you guys doing a full analysis of uh, the MVP candidates. But, like, that's kind of just, that's really all, all I wanted to talk about today. I'm trying to think, like, nothing super crazy has been going on. It's just, you know, teams gearing up for the postseason. Um... We could talk about the Nets. I could always talk about the Nets. I mean, more specifically, like, what's going to happen when KD comes back? What's going to happen? How long is it going to take for them to adjust? How long is it going to take for, you know, Kevin Durant to get his, his rhythm back? I mean, you know, Kyrie takes, could take a fucking weekend off from playing basketball and comes back like he never left. He comes back and just puts 35 on your fucking favorite player. It really is fucking amazing. Now, Kevin Durant is, you know, a better player than Kyrie Irving. What's he going to look like when he comes back? You know, is he going to be rusty? The reason I ask that is because we don't know how severe this hamstring injury was. You know, you would think that it's pretty intense because he's missed a month and a half at this point. Shams tweeted yesterday that, or Monday, I guess I should be more specific. Shams tweeted on Monday that Malik Beasley is going to be out four to six weeks with a grade three hamstring strain. The Nets never really went in depth about KD's hamstring injury. It was just all you know he's dealing with, the bum hamstring, and you know he'll be back when he's ready. Are they keeping him rested long and like longer than they need to just to make sure he's at 100%? That's definitely a possibility. But I know that when Kevin Durant comes back, I have no doubt in my mind that this team is just going to reach an untold level, a never-before-seen height in terms of offensive proficiency. Because I can't remember... The last time that KD, James, and Kyrie were all healthy on the floor together. 
and then you add in Joe Harris, and you add in Jeff Green, who's scored like 70 combined points in his last three games. Uncle Jeff has been fucking amazing. Shout out to Jeff Green, who at 30, how old is he? He's like 34, 34 years old, playing incredible basketball, meaningful basketball for a contender, for a contender after, you know, having to deal with his open heart surgery a couple of years ago. The fact that he's even in this position is incredible. I mean, 10 points on 42% shooting, like he has been as important to Brooklyn as anybody else. And then Joe Harris and LaMarcus Aldridge. Hey, man. Hey, man. I said LaMarcus Aldridge did not ruin the NBA and everyone's getting all bent out of shape. And I might have been fucking wrong about that. This dude is averaging 10 points and six boards in 28 minutes. That's a lot of time, actually. I didn't realize he was playing so much. But, like, man, LaMarcus Aldridge might have actually ruined the NBA. <laughs> yeah. LaMarcus Aldridge, not Joe Harris, not Elise Johnson. Bro, fucking Elise Johnson playing well also. I mean, you got Nick Claxton. The Nets are just so fucking, they're so loaded. And Landry Shamit is finally in a groove, bro. I'm so, I'm so, so happy for this young man. I'm just, for him to finally, you know, have his confidence and be in rhythm, it's, it's remarkable. This Nets team is, I mean, they have to be the title favorites at this point. They really do. I, I, I don't know, dude. I really, I don't know who I see beating them right now. My only fear is that, you know, they, my only fear is that they get, like, upset in the first round because, as I said earlier, they just don't play well against teams that are worse than them it's the strangest fucking thing i will never understand like playing down to your competition it just it it blows my mind like if they meet the bulls in the first round and the bulls get lucky and bounce them in seven i'm going to be so fucking upset i might just like crawl in a hole for the summer because man that would be so fucking painful i would actually evaporate I'm cringe. I would cease to exist. I would, my body would fucking just <laughs> combust on the spot. Like, as soon as the buzzer hit zero, and Ian Eagle was saying that the Nets have been eliminated from fucking playoff, from the playoffs, I would just like sit back in my chair, arms out, and I would just turn to dust. My fucking hat would fall and just, oh, as I fucking punched the mic, it would be so upsetting. Fortunately, I don't think that's, you know, very likely because like you can get by on fucking talent alone with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving. Like I really don't see that happening, but never say never. However, I really do believe they're the title favorites right now. It's not to say that other teams can't beat them. Like I think Philadelphia, Philadelphia has a shot to beat them in the conference finals. Uh, the Bucks have a shot to beat them in the conference finals. Really any team with like, a dominant big has a shot to really cause the Nets some grief. Like Joel Embiid, I'll worry about. Giannis, I, of course, worry about. In the Western Conference, like, really, you wouldn't have to worry about that until the finals, and at least the team they, they would be going against, who you would assume to be the Lakers, but who knows if that's going to be the case. Like, that's at least a team that is on their level, right? A fully healthy Lakers team, is going seven games with the Brooklyn Nets, a fully healthy Lakers team with Montrezl Harrell, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, now Andre Drummond, Dennis Schroeder, KCP, Kyle Kuzma. On paper, that team is as good as the Brooklyn Nets. You know, they have fewer stars, but they've got fucking LeBron James. They got LeBron James, man. Got the greatest player of all time. He's still fucking killing it at 33, 35, 36, however, however old he is. Like, that would be an amazing series. And I would worry about how they would deal with Anthony Davis because, like, bro, Anthony Davis is just different. Dude is straight up just a different beast. Different beast when he's healthy. But as of now, like, I, dude, I don't know. The Lakers are in shambles. The Lakers are in actual shambles. And obviously, when you're without LeBron and you're without Anthony Davis, you're going to suck shit. 
for a little bit, you know? It's it's just how it goes. You can't be down two stars and still really play well in the NBA. The only time that's different is if you have a guy like Kyrie Irving or you have a third star, any third star, really. Like when the Warriors had, um, you know, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, you know, KD and Steph Rao, whatever, still doing their thing, you know? I, we really just got to see. We just got to see how it plays out. Um, yeah, man, I'm trying to think. What, what else has been going on? What the fuck else has been going on, bro? Head over to Twitter. I know that <laughs> ESPN fired Paul Pierce. That was so... Wait, why is... Hold on. Why is Alien trending in the United States? Oh. It's a fuck it. It's about the fucking movie. Man. Fuck that. Fuck it. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> Paul Pierce gets fired by ESPN for hanging out with some exotic dancers on Instagram Live. And then goes to Twitter and says, I can't lose. Even when I lose, I'm winning with six different emojis. <laughs> Dude, what the fuck is good with Paul Pierce? This guy is just... I, man. <laughs> His replies are just... God. That's so fucking crazy. I wonder, like... I wonder, probably... Well... This is so fucking funny. This is... This was fucking hilarious. Although, part of me has to wonder, like... Paul Pierce was chilling, right? minding his own business, hanging out with some, you know, scantily dressed ladies, smoking a cigar, probably, you know, sipping on a little some some. And this man pulled out his phone and was like, let me, <laughs> let me pull up IG Live real quick and show y'all what I'm working with. That is, like, how did that thought even cross his mind? And I'm not, you know, obviously there's that, there's the whole, you know, COVID thing, you know, not hanging, you know, no mask, whatever. I don't know if any of these fucking women were vaccinated. I could give a fuck if they were vaccinated. I'm just confused as to why this man, Paul Pierce, was like, let me put this on IG Live. Why are, like... Why is Paul Pierce gonna snitch on himself like that? This man is tripping hard, but it's still fucking hilarious i love that it happened i mean you know paul pierce is unemployed now that's fine i'm sure he's all right i'm sure he's chilling he's probably going to get a job somewhere else at like fox sports where he could really bro the takes that this man is gonna spit on fox sports dude imagine just imagine him imagine him sitting across from Skip Bayless, the shit that would fly out of his mouth. And I just want to go back and clarify my statements really quick on the whole COVID implications of it. I don't know the details of, you know, if everybody was tested, this, that, and the third. I'm sure COVID was a concern, but I'm just saying, like, do it in private, my guy. If you want to go out and you want to live your life, that's cool, but don't fucking put it on instagram live like there are so many older folks who will just like put shit on instagram that does not deserve to be on instagram like why why i just i just don't get it. i don't get it but anyway fast forwarding to what's gonna happen with um paul pierce on fox sports if he does decide to go there 
He's just gonna be. He'll be across this. He'll be across the set from Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp, and just be like, you know, Skip, I fucking hate LeBron James. <laughs> And then Shannon is just going to be sitting back, like, all perplexed, like, what the fuck is going on? I'm, I have no intention of, you know, watching sports talk television, but if Paul Pierce goes on fucking Undisputed or whatever the name of that fucking show is, and just starts being Paul Pierce, I might have to tune in, man. I might have to tune in. That shit is elite comedy. Um... I'm trying to think, like, Baylor, what happened? Baylor won the uh, NCAA tournament on Monday. Congratulations to them. Um, I also want to send my prayers to DMX. Dude is laid up in the hospital with um, some serious, you know, some serious um, medical condition. Uh, I, hope, I hope he gets better, man. I do not want to see DMX go out like that. Dude is, you know... A bona fide legend in hip hop, and just I'm sure he's a very nice guy, and I want to send my prayers to him that he makes it out of this. You know, we had that incident with Dr. Dre a couple months ago, with uh, I think he had it was a brain aneurysm, and he was laid up in the hospital for a little bit. I think I'm sure he's doing better. You know, there hasn't been any news about it, and I got this fucking fly buzzing around my room. But I just uh, I hope everything works out with DMX, man. And I think, I think that's going to do it today. I think, I think that is the end of the episode. If this is your first time, welcome. If you are a returning listener, welcome back. Anything I'm associated with will be put in the description below. And of course, any way that you choose to support the show is much appreciated. And with that, I will catch you guys in the next one.